0: Let me add my welcome. My name is John T. If we've not met in person, it's great to see you. Welcome, welcome in the room. Welcome online. Um, Oh, it's a weird old time, isn't it? Like, it's so weird. (laughs) Everything's weird. Everything feels unusual and strange, and we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. And and we're we're at church, and it's the Sunday before Christmas, and it should be a big, exciting, and but we're not quite sure what's happening. And so, what do we do with a day like today? You know, we had our big carol service last week. Do we do another Christmas sermon? Only so many Christmas sermons you can come up with in the life of a pastor. So what, what do we do? Well, what I thought we'd do this afternoon is I thought that we'd take, that we'd take some time to prepare our hearts and to prepare ourselves to celebrate Christmas. Because whatever Boris says, and whatever the government decide, and whatever gets shut down or locked down, we will still celebrate Christmas. Even if it's not quite the way we want to celebrate it, we will still celebrate that Jesus has been born. So I thought it would help us to think about how we celebrate Christmas this year. And to do that, I thought we'd look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, that classic Christmas passage. Um, Deuteronomy chapter four, and we're going to just read verses five to nine, but there's really one image that kind of captured my imagination this week that I want us to reflect on together, um, which I hope will be helpful to us as we unpack it. And I hope to show you why actually these verses really are very much about Christmas. Um, Just before I read, let me remind you, um, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, God's people, Israel, they've come out of slavery in Egypt. They've wandered around the desert for 40 years. They're about to enter the promised land, and they've got right to the edge of the promised land, and Moses, who's leading the people, is about to die. So he is preaching to them a series of sermons. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. Sermons for people about to enter the promised land. So let me pick it up from chapter four, verse five. Moses says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Here's Moses preaching to the people and he says to them, don't forget. And the phrase that I want us to really zoom in on is the image of forgetting that he says don't let these things fade from your heart. Don't let them fade. So imagine it's Christmas morning and you open a present and it's um, a, a lovely new T-shirt. It's brightly colored. It's vibrant. It looks wonderful and new. And you know what new clothes feel like. They feel great and it's exciting and you put it on and it feels great. But in a year's time, probably in a month's time, it will have faded, right? And it just doesn't look quite as lovely as it did before. Well, surprising on Christmas morning, you don't open a T-shirt, you open a masterpiece. Someone has bought you a Van Gogh masterpiece for Christmas. (laughs) I don't know Why? and you decide to hang it in your front room, one of the things you will have to think very carefully about is, how do you stop it fading? You see, the problem is that things so quickly fade. Memories fade. Joy fades. And so often we find things fading away. And Moses knows that that's true about the hearts of the people of Israel and he knows it's true about your heart too that suddenly things that were so important to you and you were so excited about can very quickly just fade, lose their sparkle, lose their shine, lose their weightiness and their significance. And Moses says, if you do nothing, then your heart, these things will fade. That's the default. It's not like, look, it may be that you forget God. It might be that God fades in your memory. It might be that your love for God kind of fades away. Moses doesn't say it might happen, he says it absolutely will happen. That is what every single human heart is like it fades. So even if this afternoon you are so pumped up with joy about God and about his love for you, and let's face it, I, most of us probably at this point in the year and sitting in this room wearing masks, we're probably struggling to muster that much joy, right? But even if you were bursting with joy this afternoon, I have to tell you, it will fade. Because that's what our hearts are like. And it will fade unless you deliberately and intentionally do something to stop it fading. It's just, it's like a masterpiece, right? If you hang your Van Gogh masterpiece up in the bright daylight in your living room, and there it is on the wall and it looks so splendid, it will fade. Unless you deliberately and intentionally do something to stop it fading. That's why if you go around art galleries, some of the galleries you go into are very dim lighting because they're trying to protect the paintings. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about um, two big things. One, why? Why is it that our love for God is so fading? Why is it that our desire for him, our joy in him, our remembering of all that he's done for us, why does it fade so quickly? And when we thought about why it fades, then I want us to think about what might help us to stop it fading. All right? Does that sound like a plan? Great. You're going to have to work hard this afternoon. It's, I, I feel like we're going to have to work because we're spread out and let's there's, there's, be energetic. And you at home as well. Be energetic and enthusiastic. Shout at the t- computer. Shout amen at the computer. Engage. Don't just sit there like it's a TV show. Because if this is a TV show, it's the worst TV show you've ever chosen to watch. And there are better things you could watch. But not better than the word of God. Anyway, sorry. Focus. Why? Why, does, why is it that our hearts would fade so quickly? I'm going to suggest four things, four causes of fading, which we're going to run through quickly. I think you see all of those in, in the history of Israel. And I think that as I say these, some of us in this room will go, yeah, that's, that's me. That's why my love for God has faded or might fade. In no particular order, here are my four reasons. Firstly, Doubt. You see, when you begin to doubt God, it's very difficult to be joyful in him. This is my experience on a roller coaster. Every time I go on a roller coaster, I love roller coasters. Genuinely love them. So Swarm at Thorpe Park is it, a fantastic roller coaster. And I get on and I'm excited. I love to sit right at the front and, you know, your legs are dangling and off we go. We go ooh, upside down. And then about, and it's so joyful, it's wonderful. Then about halfway through the roller coaster, every single time, this thought comes into my head. I wonder when they last checked this. There's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of force being applied. And then I look, I think, mean, which is the key screw that genuinely this is what I'm doing? Which is the key? Is that really going to hold? and suddenly all my joy is gone because now my faith has been replaced with doubt and now i'm just living my roller coaster life going get me off this thing because that there's no way that that screw is going to hold and so i have this love hate relationship with roller coasters and don't judge me for this exactly the same thing happens to me when i go on the london eye i know it's not i, I know it's not high thrill <laughs> But just as I go over the top of the London Eye, I think to myself, wow, that cable there, imagine if that snapped. This is what happens to me. And that's what happens to God's people too. You see, God's people, they say, wow, God, you're amazing. You saved us from from slavery. You saved us from Egypt. You're so powerful and you're so strong. But then as soon as anything comes into their life, like like another enemy or a a, a king like Pharaoh or, or the people who are in the land, they suddenly say, oh, no, no, we're scared. God can't do it. God can't do it. And their joy is gone because they begin to doubt God. They begin to doubt that God is good. They begin to doubt that God is powerful. They begin to doubt that God is for them. And Moses, as he says to them, don't let these things fade from your hearts. Doubt will kill joy. Doubt will kill the the burning heart confidence in God. So where do you doubt him today? What are you doubting? Where do you find it hard to trust him? Perhaps you're sitting here and you're not a Christian. You came along to church this afternoon because it's nearly Christmas. You thought it might be Christmassy. It is Christmassy. It's always Christmassy to come to church. Come and celebrate Christmas every Sunday at church. But if you're not a Christian, then let me ask you this. What would make you doubt God? What is it you doubt about him? Because you'll never trust someone that you doubt. And eventually, my fear of the bolt snapping will stop me getting on the roller coaster at all, won't it? And I've probably only got a couple of years left of roller coaster riding before my fear overrides my joy. And then I'll be out of roller coasters forever. And that's what happens to Christians. Joy, 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 doubt, 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 doubt. And suddenly they're away. They've turned their back on God completely. So doubts will cause your love and your confidence and your joy in God to fade. Do you see that in your life? Where are you doubting him? Here's the second one. What about envy? So envy will cause our hearts to fade. What I mean by that is when I look at other people who are not God's people, who are not trying to follow God, who are living their life their own way, and I see that they seem to be having a much easier and a much happier life than me, Suddenly, my God loses his brightness. God starts to fade because I think, well, that just looks more shiny and more exciting. And so Israel, as you read the story of Israel, what happens is as they go into the lands, they meet other nations who worship other gods, and they begin to look at those nations and begin to be envious of them and begin to think, ah. Oh, Well, they seem to be doing better than us. Perhaps our God isn't so good after all. Perhaps we should give their gods a go. And that's how it happens. You begin to envy. I thought it was really helpful what Ryan shared. That actually there are times when living as a Christian is just harder. It's harder being a Christian than not being a Christian. And when you begin to look at others around and you begin to find yourself envying what others have, suddenly your joy fades. The beauty of God fades. This happens up and down the land on on Christmas Day, right? You give a present to someone. And you get your present, and it's wonderful. You're really excited about it. So, oh, this is fantastic! I love this. I love this. And then the next person opens their present, and you're like, "Huh? Oh, well, why, How come they get that?" <laughs> and they get something much better. Same things that happen. This is what happens. In restaurants. You go out for a meal, right? You get your meal. This is great. Someone else gets theirs. Like, oh no! Look at yours. And that's what happens with God. We have our God, our glorious God, our saving God, our beautiful God. And yet suddenly, for some reason, we begin to envy others. And so our joy fades. The beauty of our God fades. Who do you envy? Whose life do you envy? Do you find a seed of envy in your heart? I think the third reason that God will fade in our hearts is just carelessness. We're just careless. As you read through the story of Israel over and over again, you just find them taking God for granted, becoming familiar with him. They're like, it's God, isn't it? And they lose sight of the wonder that it is. So when God's people were wandering around in the desert for 40 years, God gave them manna, right? They had no food. you got, got to get this, right? They had no food. They were starving in the desert. Where on earth is God going to feed? Like a million people, this nation of Israel, where is God going to get enough food to feed them? God says, don't worry, I'm going to make bread appear on the ground. <laughs> wow! God, you're amazing. You gave us bread. Can you imagine going out that first day? And everywhere you look, there's this white frosting all over the ground. Bread. Manna. I don't know what it is. That's why they call it manna. It means, what is it? (laughs) And God feeds them. He gives them everything they need. They wake up the next day. Wow, he's done it again. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine them looking at each other, going, oh, God's great. Who would have dreamed or even (laughs) ever believed? You know I love that song. God, over and over again, provides some food. About 20 years in, 20 years later, out they come of their tents, Oh, for goodness sake, this stupid stuff again. And they begin to moan. That which was so heart-captivating to them, which caused their hearts to sing, caused their hearts to thrill, now has become so mundane and boring and oppressive to them. They've just become careless. They take it for granted. They take God for granted. And it's faded. The wonder of God's provision has faded. Where do you see carelessness in your heart? Where do you find yourself just taking God for granted and saying, oh man, I've got to do this again. and here is the god who is so spectacularly glorious and yet we we just get familiar with him we get bored to think that we could sit right get this right i sometimes sit in a sermon listening to someone preach the gospel it's a good sermon they're preaching about jesus they're preaching the gospel and i'm bored that never happened to you? Don't answer. <laughs> How can it be? How can it be that someone is telling us about Jesus, the bread of life? Jesus who gives us life. Jesus who sets us free. Jesus who gives us joy. And we sit there and go, oh man, is he nearly finished. That which was so captivating to us at some point in our life, that which was our very breath, it's just become so mundane, and it fades. And here's the fourth reason that I think God fades in our hearts, is because of our pride, because we just think we don't need him. You see, this was, again, if you read through the the story of Israel, Israel, this is the problem. They're in deep trouble. They're in desperate need. They cry to God and they say, God, help us. Please help us. We really, really need you. We need you. We need you. And God comes and he saves them and he protects them and he loves them and he cares for them. And then they go, ah, look at us. Look at us. Aren't we great? We have all that we need. We're so self-sufficient. We're so wonderful. What a glorious nation we are. And God loses his brightness. God loses his vibrancy in our hearts because we become so puffed up with our own. (laughs) Look at me. And God loses his shine. And it may be that many of us sitting here in this room, we've just lost any sense of our need of God. I don't need God. What I need him for. Life is good. Life is fine. I've got a good job. I've got this. I've got everything sorted. I've got some money in the back. I've got this. I've got everything in hand. And of course, God's faded. So here's why I think God fades in our hearts. And let's, look, let's be honest. He fades in all of our hearts, doesn't he? All of you watching, all of you here, He fades. He fades. And he fades not because he loses his glory, but because we doubt him, because we envy others, because we become careless and we become proud. So what do we do? Well, I tell you what we do. It's really simple. You're going to be really cross about this. We remember. <laughs> I mean that that's literally what he says in the verses afterwards. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord. Remember. You need to remember. If you don't want God to fade in your heart, you need to remember, which is why Christmas is so, so, so good. And people argue about, well, it's a pagan festival, and it was the wrong date, and blah, 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 blah. I don't care. It's good to remember God. It's good to celebrate him. It's good to remember what he has done. And that's what Christmas is about. So here are two things to remember. This is how you stop your heart fading. I'm going to go back now to verse 7. Look at verse 7. Here are the two things. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near Us, whenever we pray to him. There's something that should stop your heart fading. Remember that. Here's the second thing. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Remember this. If you think your heart is fading, if you think that God is losing his brightness, remember these two things. Firstly, remember God doesn't keep his distance. God doesn't hold you at arm's length. In fact, as Moses spoke to the Israelites, he said, you know what's good about our God? You know what makes our God better than any other idol? You know what makes God so awesome? He's near to us. He's near. He's near when we pray to him. And you tell me that isn't a Christmas verse. What is the whole message of Christmas? It's God is near to us. God is not out of reach. God is not beyond us. He is close. In fact, so close that he stepped into this world, Emmanuel, God with us. He doesn't keep his distance. And the trouble is that we, can become careless about that. And we can go, yeah, yeah, we know that. Yeah, whatever, God's near us. So let me show you one quick little um, <laughs> one quick little picture of this. I, I promise it's sort of quick. Um, just to, to give you another image that might help you. Um, you'll have to check this out when you get home. I- I'm not going to get you to turn to it now. But if you've got notes or you've got a phone, check this out um, later. Um I want you to later at some point go to Ezekiel, book of Ezekiel, another classic Christmas book. And in the book of Ezekiel, um, it starts in Ezekiel chapter one with amazing vision of God. But here's the problem of the vision in Ezekiel chapter one. God doesn't seem very near. I mean, he is very awesome. But in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel sees this vision, and the first thing he sees is a storm. And then in the middle of the storm, he sees four living creatures and four wheels, right? And then above the wheels, there's kind of um, a vault, like a sky, a space. And then above the space, there's a throne. Then above the throne, there's the image of the appearance of the glory of God. That doesn't sound very near, right? In fact, that sounds epic and awesome and glorious, but he's a long way away. And he's on wheels. right? If God is on wheels, what does that tell you about God? Would you, why would you put wheels on something? So it can move. This isn't a trick question. You put wheels on something because... So it can move. And the problem in Israel's day is that this glory of God is on wheels and so it can move. And actually when the people do reject him and when the people's hearts do fade and they forget all about this God, he departs. He leaves the temple. His glory moves on. He leaves them. You say, well, that doesn't sound like Deuteronomy chapter 4, where it says he's near to us. And that's not the end of Ezekiel's prophecy. You see, Ezekiel chapter 1, the glory of God on a throne, on a sky, on living creatures, on wheels. So that in Ezekiel chapter ten, that glory departs the temple because of the idolatry. But the great hope of Ezekiel, and you're going to have to check this out for yourself, in Ezekiel forty-three, the glory returns to the temple, but this time there are no wheels. And in Ezekiel chapter forty-three, I'll, I'll just I'll read it to you so I get it absolutely right. Ezekiel chapter forty-three, God's glory returns, and God says, "Son of man." this is the place of my throne and the place for the souls of my feet. <laughs> you see, we've gone from wheels, living creatures, throne, vault, no, vault, throne, God. Suddenly we've now gone to souls of God's feet on the earth. So what, 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 what's all this got to do with anything? That's Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is the God who is so high and exalted and glorious coming, placing the very soles of his feet on earth. So as Jesus walked around on earth, it is the glory of God walking the the soles of God's feet touching earth. He walked with us. He walks among us. His feet touch the earth. And so God is neither glorious and distant, nor is he pathetic but close. He is glorious and close. And so... This Christmas, we remember and we ask that God would cause our hearts to burn with love and joy again, that he is the God. What other people are so great that our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Now look, We live in a culture that doesn't bow down, generally speaking, to other idols and statues. Some still do, but most don't. But they do bow down to other gods. You know this, right? They bow down to other things, things that they give themselves to, things that they think will satisfy them, gods that make demands of them. But they're not gods that love. They're not gods that come close. So, for example, the God of success that our our culture worships, you want to be successful. That God of success is a distant God. And no matter how far you try and grasp at it, it just moves further away. You know when you've got a ball and it's on on a lake and you're reaching for it and you, you think you've got it, but as soon as you touch it, it moves further away. That's what the gods of this world are like. They move away and they move away. And the closer you get to them, the more you think they're going to satisfy. They don't. They move. And you find yourself constantly having to stretch a little bit further, having to go a little bit more. Because the gods of this world are distant gods. The gods of the ancient world were distant gods, but the God of the Bible is the near God who comes close, so that when you pray to him, he's near to you. This Christmas, when you pray to God, he's near you. Near. He's near to you. He doesn't keep his distance. And here's the second thing that, it should, that we should remember this Christmas. He doesn't keep us guessing. He doesn't keep his distance and he doesn't keep us guessing. I appreciate in first sight that verse 8 doesn't sound that exciting. What other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as his, this body of laws I'm setting before you today? But actually, it's good news to have a God who tells us, to have a God who speaks to us, to have a God who says, this is what I require of you. This is what, this is who I am. This is how you're to live. That's good. He doesn't make us guess. You see, the trouble with all the other gods, right? Okay, let's, let's have a little God. Okay, let's pretend here's, here's a little God. The trouble is this God doesn't say anything because it's just a dumb statue. Which is very, very difficult to worship. I wonder what it wants. I wonder what we should do to make it happy. It's more like having a pet than having a god. I don't know what. I, what do you want us to do? I'm. Okay, fine. Let's let's sacrifice something to it. Well, that hasn't worked. Perhaps that's not. Oh no. Perhaps we've annoyed it. Perhaps it needs something else. Perhaps we should offer more. Perhaps we should sacrifice one of our children. Do you see how it goes? Because you don't know. You're completely clueless. And so many people in this age, I was talking to someone just this week who says, I'm not really into God and stuff, but I'm a spiritual person. But what does that mean? You don't know. You don't know what's required. How, how, How do you know? what is true and what isn't true. Just a gut instinct. I'll try something, see if it works. But we have a God who tells us. We have a God who speaks to us. We have a God who says, this is how I want you to live. I love you and this is how I want you to live. And actually what God has revealed in his word is so beautiful, it's so captivating. Yes, it can fade. It can fade when we doubt that what God says is good. It can fade when we envy others who don't have to keep these rules. It can fade when we become careless. It can fade when we're proud and we think we know better than God. But this word that God has spoken to us is good. But of course, Israel didn't keep this law, they failed. And so do we. And so what does God do? God comes. He places the soles of his feet on earth so that he might save us. He places the soles of his feet on the dusty earth of Israel. And he walks that road. He walks our road. He walks the road of perfect obedience. And then those feet, those soles of God are nailed through to a wooden cross where he takes the punishment that our failure deserves. So that we might become his people, so that we might live the way he's called us to live. And if this afternoon we say, oh, he's talking about the cross again. Yeah, I am. And I will. Every Sunday, I will. Because the day we get bored of the cross is the day that our hearts have grown cold. And the day that God has faded. God doesn't keep us guessing. This is what he requires of you. Let me spell it out in the most crystal clear way possible. This is what God requires. He does not require some extraordinary sacrifice from you. He does not require awesome obedience. He requires you to believe in the one that he sent. He requires you to believe in Jesus, the one who's fulfilled the law completely, the one who took the nails and the thorns that you deserve, the one who took the punishment and the death so that you might live. That's what God requires of you. And then he says, I'll fill you with my spirit and I'll enable you to live this righteous, beautiful life in my power. What other nation is so God? You tell me one other God that would do that, success will never die for you. The God of success doesn't care if you're successful or not. You have to understand that. You keep offering things to the God of success, going, I don't know, is this enough? Is this enough? Is this enough? And then success, maybe you get a bit of success, oh, I don't know, I don't know, and then success chucks you off the pile and moves on, because success is a God that doesn't care. God does. Our God does. And so as Moses prepared his people to to walk into the promised land, he said to them, your hearts are going to fade. You're going to forget all that God has done for you. Remember, he's near you. He's not keeping his distance. And remember, he's not keeping you guessing. He's telling you how you're to live. He's telling you what he requires of you. And so it is this Christmas. As we approach Christmas Day, I guess I want to use these words of Moses to challenge us to say, don't let your heart fade. Do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your hearts. Don't let them fade. And this Christmas, why not take some time, carve some time out, find some time whether it be on Christmas Day or perhaps Christmas Day is manic and it's not reasonable, perhaps on Boxing Day or Christmas Eve, find some time, plan it. Before you leave this hall, before you turn off this live stream, plan a moment this week, maybe half an hour, an hour. Plan some time where you can say to God, I just want to remember. I want to remember that you're near me. I want to remember that you don't keep me guessing. I want to remember what you've done. I want to remember that the soles of your feet touch this world so that I might know you. Don't settle for a fading heart. If you came to my house and saw a Van Gogh masterpiece fading, you would rightly be angry with me. You would probably call some art experts and go, you've got to stop this bloke. He's a maniac. He's destroying something precious. Well, let me tell you, I feel burdened like that this afternoon for you. If you let this fade, you're letting a masterpiece fade before your eyes. Christmas is a time for you to reconnect with this God and to rediscover the brightness of what he's done. So we're going to take a moment to to pray and to think. Perhaps you do in this time, just want to think very practically when, when this week could you spend some time Reading through the Christmas story, listening to some worship songs, praying, allowing God to shine brightly in your heart. Great, let's pray as we stand. Father, we pray that you would help us to adore this Christmas. Father, that it wouldn't be some kind of emotional state we try and work ourselves up into, but this Christmas, the sheer beauty of you, the God who doesn't keep your distance, you, the God who doesn't keep us guessing you the God who's not playing games with us, but the God who's come near and the God who's told us what we need to know, that those things will be precious to us. So this Christmas, we pray that you would banish doubt, that you would banish envy, that you would banish carelessness, that you would banish pride from our hearts. And we pray that we would be careful and watch ourselves closely so that we do not forget the things that our eyes have seen or let them fade from our hearts, and we ask it for your glory. Amen.